I remember at the time was like way ahead of its time yet when it came to digital. They created moments. They were right up there with like Apple, I think, when it came to like those moments where everyone would stop and watch live streams to see what Burberry were up to. And also then they gave consumers the chance to actually shop the looks right after that those presentations where normally like a lot of the fashion shows it was just nonsense stuff that no one was ever going to buy this was real stuff you could go and buy straight afterwards so it created demand and as we know like Burberry recently streamed its catwalk show on Twitch yeah that's what I was going to say I know that's something we've brought up a few times and when we've been speaking to fashion brands Twitch is definitely something we've been hearing more and more about and how we can we can make that work for brands and definitely I think Burberry's been almost like a pioneer within the fashion space of doing just that. Yeah, way, way ahead of their time when it came to influencer marketing, crowdsourcing and user-generated content, and also, yeah, digital and streaming. So it's really interesting to see that they kind of turned it around using those techniques. So hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Brand Wars. As always, it's uh, Chris and myself from a strategy team at Socially Powerful. Don't forget to give us a follow on uh, Instagram. Get that out of the way. Brand Wars pod. Absolutely shameless plug. Got to do it. Yeah, you know, drop a like, drop a follow. Absolutely. We had our 500th episode play in the week or last week, I think. So the quicker we get to that 1,000, the better. Yeah, and like I'd imagine... About 95% of those listens are from like our mum and dad's probably. Yeah, but you know, that's all right. <laughs> well, I'm not sure my mum quite knows how podcasts work, but don't worry. I've When she asked me to do something on her phone, I'm just pressing any one of our episodes on repeat <laughs> at any given time just to, to bump up the numbers. I'm like our own little bot. <laughs> mum bot. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, mate, that sounds like a dodgy sex toy. I'm not sure about that. Oh, no. <laughs> 30 seconds in. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, yeah, this week is is fashion week. As uh, me and Chris are, you know, the height of fashion, we thought you know, we, we should probably, you know, share our knowledge with the world about fashion. So, yeah, I guess as, as normal, like, we don't know what other brand the other person's picked. So keen to hear what you've gone for. Absolutely. So this week, I have gone with one of the oldest brands around, a pioneer in the world of fashion, and that is Levi's. Levi jeans, based obviously out from America. And yeah, I'm going to be really careful here, Lloyd, because after doing some research this week for it, I was very careful to try and avoid basically giving you a rundown of how denim's made and all this sort of exciting stuff, really going into, into that um they're made so like, really like tried... strapping the jeans to two horses right and then they run away from each other and that's how they cut it right that is indeed how the story went back in um the 1800s but here let me paint you a little bit of a word picture now levi's founded in may 1973 when german immigrants levi strauss moved from bavaria in germany to san francisco California, he was looking to open a West Coast branch of his brother's New York dry goods business store. And contrary to an advertising campaign, uh, suggesting that Levi Strauss sold his first jeans to gold miners during the California gold rush, which peaked in 1849, 
the manufacturing of denim overalls only began in like began way back in the 1870s as mentioned so the company creates its first pair of levi's 501 jeans in the 1890s but i mean the popularity of jeans grew like certainly over that period and you know the 1920s and 30s and, and, and indeed the gold rush really did have a huge effect on levi's and their popularity and even on the east coast when people were moving from, from east to west to, you know, see what all the opportunities were about, obviously, through the Great Depression and things like that as well during the 1930s. They were primarily made for ranchers, guys who were working in the mines as well. So they were really sort of workmen's clothes. But as they moved from west to east and their popularity grew among consumers, this is really sort of helped by like the dude craze as people from the east coast were venturing west. And the story goes, apparently they bought some jeans at a dry goods store at a ranch and they just, they loved it and ended up bringing it back to the east coast of the States. Also, like during World War II, it played a huge part in Levi's success as you know, they're primarily sold to to defence workers and and then with veterans coming back to, to college after the war, they were literally the only thing worn on campus, like from different sorts of social groups between the 50s and 80s with like greasers, obviously from the sort of Danny Zuko's and the Thunderbirds that you see in Greece to hippies and rockers and all sorts, like Levi's was the gene. And obviously being the number one jeans manufacturer all the way through to, to 2018, the company was valued at $4.46 billion. And, you know, although they've sort of lost significant market share, you know, over the past sort of 30 years with the rise of fast fashion, you know, from brands sort of like um, Zara, Pulling Bear, you know, with Inditex's massive or global umbrella of brands, um, they are still, I would say, the big market leaders when it comes to jeans. They have an innovation lab where they've brought people in from Gen Z to try and figure out how they can win uh market share back and they're still looking at ways they can help the environment and we'll touch upon this later on about you know the manufacturing of jeans and and all this sort of stuff but you know they're looking to to encourage people to donate their jeans rather than discarding them and giving consumers a 25 percent discount on the next purchase everybody must have owned a pair of levi's at some time in their life like that's how university is i guess they're probably the only place to buy jeans for what over you know nearly 80 to 100 years so they would certainly be you know if you wanted to have a good long-lasting pair of work trousers that would be the only place to go as well oh and of course they paid over 200 million dollars for the naming rights to uh the san francisco 49ers uh stadium as well at levi field so, mm. hey, we've got to throw our, our, our normal bit of NFL uh, <laughs> knowledge into there too. <laughs> My like, mum and dad still like mentioned occasionally how they, when they bought Levi's when they were younger, the shrink to fit business. So they, there wasn't like mm. a million different, you just bought like 501s and you sat in the bath with them until they shrunk to fit you. <laughs> which is yeah, you definitely, you definitely wouldn't have that anymore, would you? But I mean, that, that's exa- exactly it. Like, it's just bought to fit. This is it. That, that's it, really. And it's bought to last, I think, more more importantly, um, rather than, say, if you go, I mean, I buy jeans from Zara more often than not, and you pay 30 quid. And, you know, more often than not, after a year, 18 months, I've got to go back and buy not on the same same pair. And I think that just comes to you get a bit older. I'm, 
that was, I think, one of the things I asked for for Christmas, a really nice pair of jeans. Mm. So I don't have to have that same issue where, you know, it rips all the time or it just one one go through the wash and the elastic's gone down the waist. You know, it's just not, not quite the same, is it? But yeah. it's just really cool to see how this, like Levi's as a company is still so recognizable after a hundred years. It's been around right from the start and it's gone through so many sort of global catastrophes from there was a, the massive San Francisco earthquake in 1906, I believe. It lost everything from its stock. It's, you know, this factory completely um, was brought to the ground. It lost everything from um, its blueprints on how all its products are made, everything like that. It had to start from scratch again. It's gone through two world wars as a brand and still had to find profitability among among all that. It's one of those brands really that has sort of stood the test of time. And, you know, it's had its up, ups and downs. Like through the 90s, it was definitely one of those brands that got caught up trying to compete up, compete with competitors. And I know it went through some controversy with overseas workers with a lot of its jeans not being made in the US. But it's managed to come through the other side. And I think it's sort of... Ch- trying to change its perception because like we said it was the, it's the number one jean you know clothing company for 30 years in the states and now it's you know kind of lost it a little bit but it's it's trying to work its way back i think to the forefront of, sort of gen z's mind it does feel like you know almost like you've mentioned it's like a bit like a dad gene a bit like a dad's thing to have or the older generation but their products clearly have stood that, that test of time go on top that i dare you so my weird <laughs> enough the brand i've picked our were founded only three years apart. Oh, um, so I've gone with Burberry. Oh, okay. So it's the uh, battle of the US versus the UK. <laughs> yeah, but this is brilliant. I didn't know this. So Burberry was founded in Basingstoke. <laughs> oh, mate, <laughs> your home team. I know, literally repping the brand. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, founded in 1856 when Thomas Burberry who was a draper's apprentice, opened a shop in Basingstoke when he was 21 years old. Like, I guess for anyone born this side of the 19th century, a draper is a kind of a wholesale dealer of silk, linen, cotton pieces and that kind of stuff. So like an oldie worldy sort of tailor. And yeah, I couldn't believe it when I, I didn't, I had no idea Burberry was from Basingstoke. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. I thought it'd be somewhere like Camden or somewhere really edgy. Yeah, but, I mean, maybe maybe Basingstoke is was the Camden of the 1850s. We don't know, but still is, yeah. still is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, I think Thomas Burberry is from Dorking or somewhere near Dorking as well, which is like where, like, which is only like ten minutes away from where I grew up as well. So I'm, I should be wearing more Burberry, really. And it's kind of founded on this principle that like uh, clothing should be designed to protect people from the British weather, and um, I guess. A few years later in 1879 was kind of a big breakthrough was when Thomas Berber invented this new fabric called gabardine, which sounds like something you'd say for indigestion, but um, it's this sort of a breathable sort of weatherproof a fabric that completely revolutionized rainwear because up until then people had worn like rubber jackets to keep themselves dry. And so really heavy, really like not breathable at all so he this new material called gabardine was like major breakthrough and that led to it being worn by originally like explorers so there was a norwegian bloke called uh, dr fridjof nansen who well done on the pronunciation there mate thank you 
for our Norwegian <laughs> listeners. Um, he wore Burberry to the North Pole in 1893, like one of the first people to go to the Arctic Circle. And like, there's a, a British guy called Edward Maitland who wore, I've, I've heard that name before somewhere, but he wore Burberry when he went, he, he took a hot air balloon from London to Russia, which was at the time was a, a world record for an overseas flight. So it was really known for sort of explorers wearing this lightweight sort of sports weatherproof raincoat. At the time, it wasn't called trench coat, but we'll get to that in a bit. And the actual Burberry check was, wasn't created until the 1920s when it was used as a lint, like a lining for um, the trench coats to kind of make them a bit more colorful because they were normally khaki colored. And someone asked for a slightly more colorful coat. So they made this lining with the, which is where the kind of Scottish tartan came from. But yeah, and that, so that's the, in the beginning, I guess, little did Thomas Burberry know that it would all come sort of crumbling down when Daniela Westbrook stepped out <laughs> wearing full head to toe Burberry with a matching Burberry pram. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a look at itself, isn't it? I don't think anybody can really pull that one off, <laughs> even at the best of times. <laughs> <laughs> right, so Mitch, we move on to PR week. Absolutely. So PR week, the segment where we normally talk about brands of the show. So this week, obviously, it's Burberry and, and Levi's. We're going to talk about what they've been up to in the news, why they're in the news. So for Levi's, I mentioned this earlier in regards to like how, how they're made. And according to Wired, I was doing research and according to Wired magazine, 2 billion pairs of jeans are produced globally each year, requiring around 1.4 million tons of raw cotton. According to a 2015 study by Levi Strauss, the life cycle of one pair of their 501s used up 3,781 litres of H2O. Now, this is obviously not a great statistic with more than 10% of the world's population currently has no access to clean water, and chemical treatments, carcinogenic dyes, washing, rinsing, finishing, and you've got an industry that's anything but sustainable. But technology is improving, make it easier for the right shade of green blue jeans, as mentioned. So as mentioned before, they really are looking to change their ways. Now, Levi's, they've been collaborating with uh, the new cell to introduce a substance called Circulus. Now, into the manufacturing loop, this material is made in a similar way to recycling paper. But resulting cotton fibre created using old jeans offcuts makes 50% of the new pair. As you mentioned earlier, that ties in really nicely with how they, they're recycling their old jeans at the moment. And in doing so as well, what they've done is they've, they've made a whole range of sustainable, sustainable water-saving, waste-reducing styles. All their women's loose-fit jeans fall into this category too. The 90s inspired highly taper, which can be about £110, for example, is made from the brand's cottonized hemp, which requires less water and fewer chemicals to grow in cotton. Plus, the fabric's apparently much, much softer. And in more fashion-related news, as in style-wise, they've actually noticed more consumers opting for loose-fitting denim over skinny jeans. So Levi Strauss CEO Chip Berg told CNBC, uh, the fashion world could be in the early stages of a new denim cycle. The last one led by ski denim lasts about 10 years. Is I guess that does kind of make sense that we've all kind of been used to wearing skinny jeans. But then again, he has said that he doesn't think the skinny jeans are going, going to go away completely. But clearly right now, we're seeing a very strong demand for these looser fits. Don't know about you, Lloyd, but you know I've been a big advocate of the skinny jeans. It's, you know, it's worked for me. Or certainly the, the slim fit. But yeah, the, the loose set, as long as we don't get to the point where it was, I'm going to say it's like 15, 
15 years ago now, I remember being at school where the, the thing was to have very baggy jeans. Yeah, that's and sort of like... Hanging halfway down, halfway down your ass. Yeah, you know? that was a weird so if you don't phase. go all the way back to that, I'm fine. That was a weird phase, and they're like, drag on the ground and then like, get all like, crusty at the bottoms. They get all muddy. Yeah. Mm. And like, all your clothes had to be like, very baggy. You know, had to be like, double the size. It didn't make any sense. Looking back now, like back then, it was probably... You know, it was the the height of fashion. Thirteen uh, year old skinny me wearing about clothes that mum would clearly just say, "Oh, you'll grow into them." And yeah, never did. <laughs> I never did. No, yeah. never did. Yeah, I, yeah, I was quite a big fan of the skinny jeans throughout my twenties. I guess didn't quite get to the sort of drain pipe level, but no, no, no couldn't, couldn't quite do that. Yeah. Although, you know what, that jeans is, is such a hard, hard one. I think you just need to find a, a pair that fit you or a style that fits you. And I think, you know, like, like with anything with, with fashion, really, but jeans especially, where you need to find one that looks literally by in every single colour, from black yeah. to blue, whatever. Just make sure you find one that you feel comfy and looks good. Hey, like, yeah, I, I went for a phase of wearing 511s because they just fit me perfect. And then all of a sudden, the, the, they changed They changed the size, the sizing, and they just never fit anymore. And then I had to go through that horrible stage of fi- trying to find a jeans that fit me. And you know what it's like? Men hate jean shopping. Like, it's I think clothes shopping, full stop, unless maybe, say, come on, let's go look at cricket or football gear or whatever <laughs> for it. Football gear. Um, <laughs> Straight down to JD Sports. Absolutely. Sports. Um, but yeah, going to find jeans, I think, is the hardest thing. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the girls can appreciate this too. It's when you say you go to a Zara or maybe, you know, I can't say I have a Levi's. Maybe they do this better. But I swear they just make the size up as they go along in places like, like Zara and these fast, fast fashion brands. Because you go in one week. I don't know how you're getting from Zara. They have waist sizes, don't they? But they don't, the length is just like short, medium or long. Yeah. Well, I'm not really about myself and saying we're probably a short. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you can never, ever get it right. I probably spend more money taking down to the tailor as I do like <laughs> yeah. getting them like cropped as I do actually going to go buy them in the first place. Yeah, I do that with suit. Like with suits, like I've never, I always have to get the arms shortened on a suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, go on. I've, I've given you a rundown with, with Levi's. What, what's Burberry been up to lately? Well, I normally break protocol quite a lot on this <laughs> section because some of the brands, or often the brands are quite historic and quite stable, I guess. So they're not always like doing things really interesting right now, but... So for Burberry, I wanted to talk about the, the sort of comeback because we didn't really get a chance to talk about it in the beginning. Like in the 90s, yeah, obviously they, and early noughties, I guess, like Burberry was just a, like rock bottom associated with like football hooliganism, antisocial behavior. People like Pete Doherty just like slumped in the back of a cab wearing a Burberry scarf. Um, I can see it now. Yeah. Um, did you see that picture of him that came out last week? Yeah. He's, I mean, he's put on some serious weight, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Lockdown's been, lockdown's been tough to, to repeat Doherty, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's because he stopped taking drugs. Uh, yeah. Maybe drugs. that was his, uh, his natural weight. Yeah. The, drug, the drugs kept him slim. But you know what? To be fair, I, I actually think he looks better. Like, because before he just looked a bit sick. Uh, maybe it was the drugs. <laughs> yeah. Now, now it just looks, now it looks rested rested and well-fed yeah exactly. <laughs> uh yeah so and also like counterfeit 
Burberry stuff was everywhere. Like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, all those market stores used to sell like dodgy Burberry caps. And so like, I thought it was really interesting how they sort of rose from the ashes, basically through a mixture of technology actually, and uh, influencers weirdly enough. So like the sort of influencer side of it was they, in particular, I identified like very young, iconic, modern influencers. So like, um, and associated them with the brand. So like Cara Delevingne, um, Eddie Redmayne, these kind of upcoming hot new stars at the time, even like that Christmas ad with Romeo Beckham. Oh yes, that's right. That was really cool. And uh, they, their aim was to basically engage like a much, much younger audience than your typical like Harrods type, you know, shopper. And the other side of it was technology again to uh, attract a younger audience so they they built a really ahead of its time e-commerce website and they became really well known for live streaming their catwalk shows which i remember at the time was like way ahead of its time when it, when it came to digital and everyone they created moments you know like they were right up there with mm. like apple i think when it came to like those moments where everyone would stop and watch live streams to see what Burberry were up to. And also then they gave consumers the chance to actually shop the looks right after that those presentations where normally like a lot of the fashion shows, it was just nonsense stuff that no one was ever gonna buy. Uh, it was all concepts where actually this was real stuff you could go and buy straight afterwards. So it created demand. And as we know, like Burberry recently streamed its catwalk show on, on Twitch. Yeah, that's right, I was gonna say. I know that's something we've, we've brought up a few times and when we've been speaking to fashion brands, you know, at work and Twitch is definitely something we, we've been hearing more and more about um, and how we can we can make that work for brands. And definitely, I think Burberry's been almost like a pioneer within the fashion space of doing just that. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I think they've generally like way, way ahead of their time when it came to influencer marketing, crowdsourcing and user-generated content and also, yeah, digital and streaming. So it's really interesting to, to see that they kind of turned it around using those techniques have they used it for ad campaigns as well or is it more just like do you think it's more brand awareness sort of pieces they've been they've been using these i'll talk these about that uh in the ad break oh okay okay all right well i will i'll, I'll put you in pause for a minute then I'll, I'll be very quick on mine i had a lot of, of jargon written down here but uh, <laughs> i'll <laughs> i'm looking back at it now i'm like eh, i'm not so sure so I can't. I think similar to yourself, Boiler, Levi's. It's over a hundred years old. Everyone knows what Levi's about. At this point. Similar to myself, I'm only thirty-three. You might as well be one hundred and thirty. Similar to um, similar to Burberry, that it's been around for, for long enough where people don't need to make these massive ad campaigns for it. Right? As mentioned earlier, they're, they're trying to connect back to that Gen Z audience. So cast your mind back to, to twelve months ago, the start of COVID nineteen. TikTok was just about to take over the world. It was on the precipice, but Levi's, well, they were they were there right at the start. So they actually did an influencer program on TikTok where creators ran in-feed ads, um, link swiping up to the retail site. So unlike Instagram, where we talked about before, it's got that swipe up feature. TikTok, unfortunately, does not, but you can put links in their bios for, for the creators. So they use this to, to send traffic to its e-commerce site. They used a wide range of different TikTokers, and it generates some really, really cool results. They actually used Levi's laser-powered future finish, um, sort of like denim customization technology to create their own customized denim and look. So the collab was made literally right before the US went into lockdown last March, whatever, 12 months ago. But the the videos were released afterwards. So 
it was a bit like uh, what's going on here but i think enough people kind of understood it and i'm you know it's 12 months on i looked actually online and levi's tiktok page it's official tiktok page on it uh, it's blank which is really quite it's quite weird like i don't know why they would they would have stopped it don't know why don't know what they thought the campaign how it went to see how the success has gone of tiktok and brands on it over the last 12 months i'd be really curious to find out why they didn't keep keep going with it yeah because it was that campaign was sort of lauded as a massive success and they were one of the first brands to like use the e-commerce features of tiktok and stuff yeah they were they did it in partnership with tiktok like TechCrunch did a whole article about it which were you know it got some of the facts today and you know it got really praised for it being quite innovative you know among a few other fashion brands that did it at the time as well from like Uniqlo and Ralph Lauren but this is exactly like like you said one of the ones that actually use their technology properly so I'd be really curious to find out why they haven't they haven't almost kept it going especially how it's completely exploded you know during lockdown or certainly over the last 12 months at least yeah and so add a break for Burberry I guess I wanted to talk about a campaign that's actually really old because uh, I still remember it now. It was called The Art of the Trench Coat. I don't know if you remember this. It's actually I don't two, know. It's actually in 2009. I always show my age on this podcast. <laughs> I remember like um, for whatever reason, I, I did keep quite a close eye on Burberry when I was working in one of the first digital agencies I worked in, I guess, because we built websites and stuff like that. So it was really interesting mm-hmm. to see Burberry were up to because they were always like as you say, pioneering. And they had this campaign called The Art of the Trench Coat, which was really cool. So they had, it was theartofthetrenchcoat.com. So it was a separate microsite where it was just pictures and pictures and pictures of everyday people wearing trench coats. And they invited, you know, user-generated content or crowdsourced co- content for like trench coat owners to participate and submit pictures of them wearing it. And then they also partnered with a fashion blogger called The Sartorialist, who was yeah. quite a famous fashion blogger at the time. Uh, to also like create loads of great images of people wearing um, like almost uh, like street style photography of people wearing the trench coats. And then you could browse through all these pictures based on what the weather was, what color trench coat was, like the style, the gender or like, you know, the popularity of the images. So it's just this huge archive of like people wearing the trench coats. And also like Burberry threw in like vintage pictures of like from the 19th, you know, twenties or, and mm. like celebrities that were wearing them and stuff. So it was this massive kind of just really cool archive of, of people wearing it. And I think it was again, like ahead of their time when it came to working with influencers to generate content for a brand. We're talking about 2009, this is going back, yeah, 12 years ago, 11 years ago. So yeah, working with influencers to co-create content, crowdsourcing content, getting, making a community of Burberry fans or Burberry wearers and kind of bringing that all together on their own pages. I think it was Brilliant. And then the other one, uh, which is really cool, uh, even like present day, so Christmas, this Christmas just gone, they reimagined that dance sequence from Singing in the Rain. I don't know if you saw that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So they had like a modern twist on Singing in the Rain. I guess it goes back to the, the sort of uh, reason why the company was invented to protect the British from the, from the weather. And they did this like contemporary version of Singing in the Rain. And they had like an ice storm instead of a, a rainstorm. And that advert like topped Ad Age's most popular ad throughout the holiday season beating like John Lewis and stuff like that and they also at the same time announced that partnership with Marcus Rashford because he was doing all of his work for youth charities and uh, and so the timing of it was perfect because they had this nice PR story around working with Marcus Rashford MBE should we say and launching this ad at the same time I mean anything with Golden Boy Rashford 
probably going to bang at the minute, isn't it? They had that advert. They launched the partnership with that advert of him wearing like a cape that had like a Burberry cape as mm. like Superman. Oh, that's good. Yeah, big big fan of that. Yeah, well, cool. I mean, big fan of him. Look, I'm a Liverpool fan. I can't be a big fan of Man United, but Rashford, I do like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. But yeah, maybe we'll post that picture on our Instagram. For... <laughs> well, look, it brings us quite nicely then to the James Dyson Award. Now, this award we give out every week for the best thing our chosen brand has ever made. Now, look, I could go, oh, Levi's, the inventor of the jeans, the working man's trousers, the synonymous with fashion throughout the ages. And you know what? I will. I will. I will go that down that route. So I'm going to say they're the best they've ever made because they're worn by people of all walks of life, from miners in the early 1900s, to actors, to Nobel Prize recipients, from Marlon Brando, to Albert Einstein himself, who's actually, this is a, could have easily been my fun fact, but I chose to throw it here because I really wanted to win this one. His leather jacket was made by Levi uh, Strauss & Co. in the 1930s and sold at auction at Christie's in July 2016 for £110,500. Oh, and also, did I mention they make athletic wear? Yes, they were the US Olympic team's official suppliers for the 1980 and 1984 Olympics. It's like so they denim leotards for gymnastics team. A very, very flexible. <laughs> so look, mate, all I'm going to say is you can't top that. These guys are pioneers. They're basically, they've made the world of fashion as it, as it is today. So you know, it influences anyone everyone so the best thing i've ever made is just jeans <laughs> i mean when you put it like that that sounds shit but excuse <laughs> <laughs> my french <laughs> oh now but... i'm gonna have to put the explicit tag on it again <laughs> well when you put it like that it doesn't sound quite the same as as it is from you know as i mentioned earlier for all walks of life it's for it's the every man's trousers it's true the every it's man's true. trousers from denim jackets, denim trousers, denim overalls, you name it, they got it. That's what I'm saying about that. We haven't even touched upon double denim. Oh, see, I don't know. That's a touchy subject. I don't know if I could go double denim. No, I mean, it depends. I've done it. I've done it. I'm just I'm proud done to say. It. Yes. Yeah. Black denim trousers, like black denim jeans, and then maybe a denim jacket, yeah. like a blue denim jacket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. I've double denim. If, if that's the definition we're going for, I thought if we're going all yeah, same color then maybe that's a bit much yeah true i did see i was driving back from i don't know wicks probably and uh i saw this lad walking down the road he was wearing like desert boots and like exactly the same blue denim jacket and denim jeans the other day and i couldn't help but think what i know that? it's not quite the same is it yeah we're not exactly a 1930s minor well i mean and even overalls overalls are another one i'm not so sure about either like dungarees yeah dungarees exactly mm-hmm. yeah couldn't do that you know I'm, i don't have a pickaxe in my left back pocket i can just pull out and start knocking stuff around if, I, if needed to so yeah i'm gonna have to pass on on dungarees not for me Fair enough. i'll have to do it just to the game are we doing are we ended up just doing a tier list on would you wear <laughs> on, um, <laughs> all the different types of jeans denim clothing what have you had any i, I think i've only uh denim jacket or denim jeans i don't know you can get a denim anything nowadays can't you yeah, you probably probably can. Uh, chaps, there's all sorts. And a ca- cap. Probably get a denim hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like we did uh, on a previous episode we covered. You can get denim Ray Bans. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm. Denim sunglasses. 
we could just be all here all day. We could honestly just list random items of clothing and probably go, yeah, that's probably you can make denim that too, denim gloves. We could just be here all day. <laughs> I guess, well, yeah, all right. You probably won this. My uh, James Dyson Wolf, the best thing they've ever made, has is, is got to be the trench coat for Burberry. It's almost the jeans of, of coats. It's the jeans of coats. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of good jackets out there. But for the Burberry side of things yes. i suppose yes but you are competing yeah there's a lot of good jackets like yeah parker Nightmare, bomber denim bomber now we're just listing barber. types of jackets barber yeah. yeah actually barber's almost like burberry where if you just say i've got a burberry jacket you know it's a trench coat if you say oh, i'm wearing a barber jacket you know it's a wax jacket it's now sy- synonymous with with that type of jacket isn't it like uh, you, you say a barber jacket and you can literally smell it you know, yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's got that smell. But it's, like with Burberry, if you said a Burberry jacket, I could see it. Like it's it's that tan, yeah. beige color with yeah. the like lining, yeah, lining inside. Well, actually, I can describe what a trench coat is. So I guess well, I mentioned in the beginning, I suppose that um, there's this new fabric called gabardine. But actually, at the start, it wasn't seen. It wasn't like it was invented in the 1850s, so or 1870s. So it wasn't a trench coat at that point. It wasn't called a trench coat. It was like a sports coat or sports rain jacket. It was the mark of a, a gentleman adventurer. Um, but then I guess in World War One, those jackets were adopted by mm. officers, not everyday soldiers, officers within the World Wars to replace the original trench coats, which were rain jackets worn by army officers. So they were way too heavy. So this new, they were like woolen coats they used to wear. So like this new fabric was great for them. Then it, that became known as a trench coat. And uh, a trench coat has to have certain aspects, I guess. So it's it's got to be made of like yeah, waterproof, heavy duty cotton uh, gabardine. Generally, has like a removable insulated lining. It's got raglan sleeves, which means the sleeves that go right up to the collarbone, not just the shoulder. Yeah, come in various lengths. Obviously, you can get it right down to the ankles if you want. If you're mm. batting way inclined, yeah, it's double rested. So it has ten buttons on the front. It's got lapels. It's got a storm flap. Um, oh. All the pockets are button closed, no zips, and uh, obviously it's got belt as well and strap belt and straps around the wrist. <laughs> this is a fun fact, actually. You know, you get the those sort of buckles with a strap on the wrists of a trench coat. They were there. Yeah. They were there, they were added to stop um, water running down, so you could tighten up the sleeves, so it would stop mm. water running down your arms when you were using binoculars. Ah. That is a fun fact. Actually, I did quite like that. And there's actually, funny enough, there's two stories about how the trench coat was came to life. And there's sort of a battle, actually, between Burberry and um, Aquascutum about who actually... You can clearly tell who won this one is Aquascutum. Never heard of him before, mate. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Um, so they don't actually... So it's a, Thomas Burberry, like, invented or patented what was considered the, like, the precursor to the trench coat. But also um, this company, Aquascutum, which literally means a water shield. I like, developed a water repellent coat in the 1850s and actually like it's no, never been proved like who's the actual victor. Yeah. But yeah, it's Burberry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Burberry. We'll give it to Burberry. Right. It's the best, the favourite time of the podcast where we get to the weird facts. Oh, yes, absolutely. Round five. Weird, fun facts. Okay, let's go. Levi's. I'm just going to give you a number here. Okay. $46,532. What probably just meaningless random numbers to anyone. Probably decent side marketing campaign budget, you know. But actually, this is the most expensive pair of jeans ever sold, okay, ever. 
but it's also known as the, the Nevada gene. Now, the reason for this is because they were found in a mine in Nevada and their original production line could not be identified, but all they could find was that it was dated back to the 1880s. So it is the oldest pair of genes ever. It's almost like a fossil. It was dug up in a mine, left there by workers, because actually, they're, they're, do you know why they're called overalls? I don't. So jeans um, or denim trousers used to wear, like miners used to go to work and they would literally put these trousers over their own clothes mm-hmm. to then go to work and then would take them off and give them back. Normally probably throw away, I think, at the end of the shift. So that is why they were called overalls. They went over everything and then go for dungarees that we know today. So this guy probably just, you know, gave it back to, to his manager. Manager probably dropped it somewhere, ended up in a mine. hundred years later, boom. We found it. They bought it. I think this was about 10 years ago as well. So I think it was 2010 when when these jeans were bought. I did jot it down earlier, but um, I can't so remember. Are they like, in a museum? So they're actually at Levi's headquarters. So Levi's jeans bought them themselves to have back at their headquarters in San Francisco. Nice. So probably proudly on display as their head office. You walk in, mm. pair of trousers, bam, right in your face. <laughs> Although I think that I, I hope they've been washed. That's the only thing. They're probably a bit uh, dusty. Yeah, they'd have to leave them, wouldn't they? Like, otherwise, you're going to ruin the, the value. Probably yeah. Original. Still got mine dust on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good weird fact. Weird fact for Burberry. Uh, so in t- 2005, Burberry was banned from pubs and bars across the UK. <laughs> because... As in, you, as in you couldn't walk into a pub if you wore a Burberry jacket. Anything Burberry. It wasn't all pubs and bars. It was just certain pubs and bars. Um, so like okay. in particular around like football cities, like Leeds and Leicester and those kind of places, because yeah, it was just so entrenched in like football hooliganism and hooliganism. And uh, entrenched was that? That was a terrible entrenched. pun. I hope you didn't mean to do <laughs> entrenched. Yeah, that is good. That is good. Sorry, it's late on a Friday, guys. Yeah. I'm uh, losing. I'm going half insane at this point. So basically, the pubs teamed up with the police to curate a list of clothing the pubs thought were worn by groups of football utes and hooligans and so they 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 created like lists which is why i always find it funny that like pep guardiola wears like stone island (laughs) because it's like (laughs) that's like the uniform of a football hooligan and uh yeah so like a list of all these brands some of these quite funny like stone island do you remember like do you remember henry lloyd as well yes yeah yeah, that one rings a bell that was another one banned by by pubs, but yeah, I thought it was quite funny. So they, yeah, uh, it was called the Hardcore Troublemakers, like which oh, they wanted to see. That's just such a dad thing, or like a teacher yeah. thing. Oh, the Hardcore Troublemakers. Oh. But yeah, I, I I almost knew as soon as you said it because I think back then, and I'm I'm pretty sure like Football Factory and things like that. You remember that film? Probably had a huge part to play in in that sort of mindset of oh no, okay, yeah. this what these guys going to look like, and it's probably the complete opposite of what they used to wear, you know? Yeah, probably. Well, it was probably all just knockoff gear. Yeah, but, um, that too. Also, I think um, English teams started getting into European football in like I think sort of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, basically. I think mainly the 60s and 70s, um, like Man United and Liverpool, were obviously playing in in Europe a lot, and I guess. My um, football history knowledge isn't that great around that time, but that's where like loads of those streetwear brands were sort of brought back from places like, you know, your LS and your Sergio Tacchini's and all those kind of like foreign, mm. like football stuff, like labels, they were 
they all got really popular in the UK because yeah, all these fans were traveling across to, to Spain and Italy to go and watch their team play football and then finding all these new brands and bringing them back to the UK. Hmm. But that's got nothing to do with Burberry. No, but it does have everything to do with football hooligans, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe not just the uh, the average fan. Well, there you go. That's it for this week's episode. The battle of the UK versus US fashion giants, Burberry, Levi jeans, Levi Strauss and Co. So, as always, let us know what you think. Give us a like, comment, follow on Spotify, a little review on iTunes podcast. Wouldn't go amiss as well. Or even just a follow on Instagram. Hey, you know, at Bramwell's Pod. I'm not shameful. Give, give us a like, you know. What's so hard about that? Give us, a, give us a little follow. What's hard about that, Lloyd? Nothing's hard about that. Yeah. No, no, it's just one click. What's so hard? Before, before I go cry uh, and then go enjoy the sunshine, love the weekend. Bye-bye. I don't know. The ending's such a weird bit, man. I don't like this. How do, you, how do you end a podcast? How do you end it? Just go, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. All right, then. Goodbye.